Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. All right, folks, it is officially September on the calendar. You know what that means. Some people are deer hunting. Some people are getting ready to deer hunt, but fall is in the air. I am jacked up. Velvet is being shed literally probably tonight. It is Friday, the second when I am recording this. I had on fleet camo. Totally awesome conversation about just deer hunting in general. Life, uh, career paths, and, and also like some technical questions about individual pieces, but also the process of making white tail specific garments. And, you know, it was a good flowing conversation, fun time. Uh, I would rank this as one of my top three to four podcasts I've ever done. <laughs> that being said, guys, good luck. All my Kentucky listeners, if you're going to get any custom gear before season, get that order in enter code W E X P at enter code W E X P at checkout. There we go. We'll see you. All right. Well, guys, I have a pretty cool guest today, a uh, company and an individual who I've been ex- trying to get in touch with. And today I've got a laundry list of questions that I think um, you guys are really going to enjoy. And I think we're going to get into some good deer and gear talk right before season, which is a perfect time. But uh, William, welcome to the show. And to kick things off, let's just do a quick introduction, who you are, what you do for a day job now, and kind of we'll dive into the company itself here at a high level. So uh, my name is William Spaulding, and I make hardcore hunting gear for people that are just passionate about white tail hunting. I live and breathe it, man. It's what I do (laughs) 24-7. That is is correct. Now, you are in Tennessee. Did you partake literally in, I think, last weekend, the velvet hunt? We did. We did, man. I was such a disappointment. It sucks. <laughs> we had a buck totally dialed, totally dialed. Like he's living on like a 50 acre parcel of land between two ridges. So you think North Ridge, South Ridge, he lives right in between those two areas. And on a North wind, he moves to the North Ridge. On a South wind, he moves to the South Ridge. And opening day, we we're totally set up for a North wind, totally abnormal right now. Normal to Southern wind. And we're like, all right, we're getting in there, south, uh, north wind, sitting in the tree stand. And all of a sudden, like, I just felt the breeze on my neck. And I'm like, this isn't a north wind. This isn't a north wind. But then, like, it would shift. It would go back and forth between the north. It was just swirling on. And lo and behold, I have cell cameras everywhere. And right when he was supposed to be coming in, I get a ping. And he's, like, 250 yards to the south, on the south ridge. And I'm like, oh. And so we try multiple times and uh he just i think he got sensed uh that we were there he felt a little pressure we spooked a doe mm-hmm. walking into the spot and she was literally right at the base of the tree that we were going to set up in and i think that just put him on high alert i don't i think he lives in that area like he's not moving very far he's like a five to six and a half year old eight pointer he's not moving far and so like when she blew i just knew that it was not going to uh, go well he didn't move for I didn't get him on camera for another 24 hours. And uh, at that point, it was only at nighttime. And he showed up Sunday right at about 8 p.m., which was too low light for us to shoot at. Uh, okay. And so, now, like, it didn't happen. Now, you guys, clo- like, the season closes, but then reopens. Yeah. When's the, the normal kickoff at this point, if you will? It's the last week in September, September 24th, 25th, around there. Yeah. So, that, uh, okay. That mirrors our opener here in Ohio. So, yeah, that's a. Oh, that's cool. Um, you guys get a little blip of, of kind of that 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 early season, um, but now you got to wait, man, like a whole month. I know it's painful, but uh, it's always like a great time period because, like this year, uh, I've never gone after him for velvet, and I mm-hmm. had him in a totally different section. And so, um, like that early season, that summer pattern, he was on a much northern aspect of where he lives, and so like chasing him in the velvet's so awesome because they're on a summer range. They're on a summer pattern, but like once the fall hits, he's going to shift. He's going to move about, I don't know, a mile south. Mm-hmm. And so I know that like, it's fun to chase him in the velvet, but like, we got to spend now to uh, 
during the hard handler, when they start shedding their velvet, like his range is going to change and we got to figure out where he's going to be moving through. Cause like he's going down now. I spent so much time on this deer more time than I ever liked to admit. Okay. Yeah, do, you, do, you, do you have a name for him? Uh, so my daughter named him. Uh, oh, perfect. The first time I ever took her hunting, she was three years old and she's hardcore man, three years old. It's like 30 degrees out. And I got up and I was like, Hey, uh, George, her name's Georgia, George. It's just really cold out. And she like started crying. I was like, it's 30 degrees out. You can't do this. And she's like, she started sobbing. And so I was like, all right, let's do this. And so I got her totally bundled up. We went out in a stand and we saw this deer when he was three and a half, two and a half, three and a half. And she's been, she died to name a deer. Like I had this one deer named Big Green that I was chasing. And so she's like, he's big pink. Oh, like, yes. <laughs> that is she that is great. Pink. And so that's what his name been all along. Perfect. That is perfect. So we will hopefully catch up here after season with a, with a story to tell of Mr. Big Pink. And I love <laughs> the name, love the kids. Now, I've, I'm going to guess that you probably dressed her in that puffy jacket that you guys came out with about last year. So let's transition to, I guess, your now day job you just disclosed yeah. to me. Um, I guess, what is your official title? I am owner, president, shipper and everything you name it like i just have to plug in every hole everywhere <laughs> okay for 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 uh fleet outdoors yep fleet outdoors owner of the business uh and yeah full-time job we have fifteen thousand square feet down here in franklin tennessee and uh yeah just do this every day of the week <laughs> and for anyone who's listening how would you describe fleet outdoors and like obviously the space is competitive at the same time, it's a really good time to be in the area you are because people are willing to spend the money on gear these days and they want a little bit more technical items here in the last five, 10 years. What, how would you describe fleet to the core? So we looked at it from the lens of like hunting's hunting, but like deer hunting's very unique. And so like, if I just take the approach, like, all right, I take uh, a deer hunter, traditional deer hunter, there's a high exertion movement, meaning I'm going to walk to the stand. And some people that's 400 yards and some people that's miles. And then you have people on private and public. And so, but then it normally transitions into a static period. And so you're sitting there in a spot, it's freezing cold and you sit there for a while and then you got to get out. And so like those like extremes don't match up to the out West style. Like those guys are hunting, you're moving. If you get cold, you can get moving again. You're building up sweat, but then you got to manage that moisture. Whereas like hunting, you build up a lot of sweat, a lot of moisture, a lot of energy, and then you're stagnant and there's no movement. You can't move at all. I mean, that's just the name of the game sitting in a tree stand or on the ground, like can't move. And so you got to find ways to like design clothing to like specifically to that mix. That's how, I mean, that's what we look at. Like, all right, I need to have clothes that wick quickly, dry quickly, but then also can go the long haul of keeping you warm for like extreme temperatures. Like you just don't do that. Like obviously you can take clothes, layer and do that, but like we're hyper-focused on whitetail hunting. What is the right layering setup? What's the right uh, fabric packages, all that totally dialed for deer hunting. Like that's, that's what we obsess on. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, uh, I do make fun of some of my friends and, uh, that buy the Kuyu stuff. I'm, I can name drop because I'm not involved in the space, but like they have specifically said, we do not design garments for the whitetail guy. Um, and, and so I like the fact that your like mission statement, I have here notes from the website. It is designed very specifically for the whitetail hunters perspective whether that be probably like an angle of a pocket or placement of a pocket or taper and cut of, of sleeves or the back of a jacket. Like the, for me, like I am a passionate whitetail hunter here in the Midwest. That's the gear personally I'm looking for. Yep. It's Let me like ask this. Let's touch on the pattern itself because there are like three patterns in the market space that I look at as if I'm deer hunting, those are the ones to get. Um, touch a little bit about the concept behind um, your guys's pattern because it's it's pretty pretty crafty is how I'm gonna it, put it. It is a total high contrast macro based pattern, and so like that's like the the savvy sexy way of saying like it's contrasting. It's designed to totally break up your silhouette in a tree, but also on the ground. Like there's a lot of colors out there in the woods, and there's a lot of light in the woods, and so like you need to blend in with that in the form of breaking it up. And so like the high contrast colors when you're looking up. 
there's a lot of light up there. And so when you're moving and grooving up there, like you got to have something that breaks up the silhouette entirely. And so that's what deadfall was designed for entirely in that fall to late fall, early winter time period where like I'm in a tree stand and I need to break up against all the branches, all the skyline uh, in that functionality. And so then we released early harvest. Early harvest was like, as we started growing and going further south, like those guys, I, I, I always joke, man, I, we do a lot of shows in Alabama and I had an Alabama guy come up to me and he was like, yo bro, it, it don't snow in Alabama. And I'm like, I know it doesn't snow in Alabama, but like, it's not, that's not the premise of it, but like it, it spurred the need, just like we need to create a high contrast pattern for the early season. And so that's what the whole premise of the early harvest pattern was like, what can we do to break up the silhouette in all vegetation, all scenarios, whether you're up in a tree or on the ground? Yeah. And I think that's important um, to look at a couple of those concepts. One, the, the, the breaking up the outline of a, of a human, right? That is a predator species uh, to whitetails. They recognize it, especially, and I think their eyes really recognize that head shoulder area. And so when you have those, those bigger patterns, I would think elevated your guys's like textures and tones. Like it mimics a lot of like, you can't tell if he's behind the tree in front of the tree. It, it kind of uses its surroundings to really, I guess, disguise that outline. Um, at least from my perspective, obviously I've never had a conversation with a deer. Um, but I think a lot of patterns on the market really struggle, especially when they get elevated and us as deer hunters, that's where I, I would bet 80, 90% of the deer are killed from. And I think it's a lot of like people, uh, hyper-realism has its place in time, but like people don't think about like, you don't buy clothes from 30, 40 yards. That's where you're shooting your deer at. And so like, you need to have a pattern that functions at like the actual applicable distance that you're going to be hunting at 15 to 30 yards. And so like, they're not going to notice the micro details. They're not like a turkey. They're not going to mm -hmm. notice that super hyper-realism. You need something that effectively breaks up your silhouette uh, in the woods so that when they're going through and they don't see in full high def color, they see in, you know, basically a colorblind palette. And so like you need to blend in in a colorblind palette where there's lots of light and there's a lot of contrasting colors. Yeah. And, you know, let me back you up a little bit. I know early harvest uh, came out within the last two years, maybe even 18 ish months. Can you back up and, and walk me through like, okay, you saw the need as far as the greener tones, the, the lighter woods uh, in, in the early season, as well as probably like expanding the, the range of sales. If, if you have a Southern guy talking to you, um, where did you kind of want to like start the design process? You're like, okay, I see the need. Walk me through being like, okay, we're going to add a line to a, a company. Cause that's that, at the time there was just deadfall. Can you walk just, me through maybe what that looked like that that 12 months to bring that thing to market? Because I, I got to imagine it wasn't just like, OK, let's let's change a few colors. You, you guys probably did a little more research on some of that stuff. So I uh, I invested in a bunch of color spectrometers. <laughs> so what, what is that? A color spectrometer actually is a mechanism that is a machine that you're able to put up into the woods on any type of color and extract a scientific formula of that color. Oh so my golly. That is so cool. So like when you start getting in textiles, like you have to like tell them, it's not like, Oh, I want this to be a green. Like you need a very specific formula of shading, contrast, everything, you know, think RGBK or RGB, CMYK, those colors, this, these devices actually extract those colors. And so we went out in the woods and was like extracting colors from bark, leaves, everything you could find, uh, tans, and then started playing with it. And uh, we were going down the path of doing a whole new pattern that was still a breakup. But then like, we started thinking about like, all right, like, I want to, obviously, we want to sell as many clothes as possible. But like, I can't tell someone that's invested in deadfall, go buy a hundred, you know, a whole nother setup in the early harvest to be successful. I mm -hmm. wanted to have a system they complemented each other. So like if I had like a cold season setup, like I could still use some early harvest in the deadfall. Like, and so I wanted some relationship between the two so that you could mix and match and not have to buy all of one and all of the other. Like I wanted them to complement each other, 
but with the right color tones. And so with the color spectrometer, extracting the colors and then making it essentially the same pattern structure mm -hmm. and just making that like I can meet a lot, I could scratch a lot of itches out there without breaking the bank and just supporting my customers. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Um, wow. That, you, that is actually super cool. Like I, I am a camo nerd uh, to the core. I, I, dude, back in the day in high school, I made my own ghillie suits, like multiples of ghillie suits here, man. <laughs> and, and would spray paint my Tipman 98 custom and glue like uh, leaves on it from like Joanne fabrics. And uh, the guys we were playing with after week one, they wouldn't let us uh, wear the ghillie suits because it was too you, you could sit in the middle of four wheel trails and guys would just walk up to you. Um, so, so understanding some of that science that you went through in R and D, that is so cool. Oh man, my mind is, uh, dude, that is, that is really cool. So let me ask this, the, the company moved, I believe from Minnesota to Tennessee and you had disclosed before we pushed record that it was not a day job. It was a passion project and now it is full time. And how did that evolve to you being like, I kind of want to own a camo company or I could, I think I could run a, a business in, in today's society doing camouflage clothes for whitetail hunters and, and make it, you know, what, what made you take the plunge? So I was in, I was in healthcare and I was traveling all around the country, uh, recruiting doctors, doing a, a really unique position, doing really neat things that was cool which was like essentially building insurance products around hospitals in rural communities. Super awesome, tons of fun, but like, I'm gonna get spiritual, man, but like God just called me and was like, you need to, you need to be home more. And so I was like, I don't need to be here. I could go do this. I could go do something else. And I was like, all right, let's go do this. And so uh, we got the business in Minnesota and we relocated it when COVID hit uh, down to Tennessee because of the central base of Tennessee uh, we hit production issues with COVID. COVID blew up everything for mm -hmm. us. Uh, we, we, we had a lot of U.S. made stuff. Manufacturing went out uh, uh, underneath us and we had to resource supply chain. And so essentially we went like a long period, like six to nine months with very little to no inventory. And so we're like, we don't have to have the warehouse there. We can centralize everything in Tennessee. I lived in Tennessee at this point, at that point. And so I was like, let's go full time. Let's really invest in the business. Uh, spend time with my family, spend nice. time, take my, like my dad was the biggest hero to me. He was always there. Like he was at every football game, every baseball game. He was my coach. And like, I was traveling 24 seven. I was like, you know what? Like I could re-divert all my attention, put it into a business that I truly live and breathe 24 seven mm -hmm. and get to spend all the time, take my son out in the woods, like do everything with my kids. And it was just like, I had to do it. Like there was, there That's was no about it that's so awesome i saw uh the video i think uh social media or youtube uh about your guys you are the inventory uh forklift driver and <laughs> shipper and packager like you you clearly wear many hats well so like i've had to, we've hired people to help a lot of stuff but like i have to every business starts somewhere and mm -hmm. you have to literally learn to do it all and I, I i i personally like when i hire people i never want to hire someone that like I don't know how to do. I, I always want to be able to train them and support them so that they can be the most successful that they can ever be. And uh, for me to do that, I have to do it myself. And sure. so like I had to run the warehouse. I had to build the warehouse racks. I had to figure out the forklift. I like all that. Like there's no IT troubleshoot person in a small business. And so that I am the troubleshooter of everything. That is so cool. And obviously when you take the plunge to go all in, was the marketplace something you really considered? Because you look at it now, the direct-to-consumer model is working for other goods, um, but also in the space, uh, a lot of players and what I will call household brands are direct-to-consumer. They are niche-focused. Uh, is that something? And, and at the same time you're doing this, the whitetail guy is realizing, hmm, if I more of a buy once, cry once mentality, um, I'm okay with saving my money to get a piece I really like. It's going to last me five, 10 years. Is that something that you, you kind of saw coming and were like, hmm, I think, I think Fleet has a space? I think so. Fleet has the ultimate space because direct-to-consumer is so powerful. Technology is getting more efficient to reach these customers, reaching these people. People are getting more trustworthy and buying things online. Uh, but then ultimately, 
we looked at it and I was like, there is no one who's just staked the flag in the ground and said, we are strictly whitetail, which is shocking. Like if you think about it, like there's only like two or three and they're not very big. Like this space has been dominated by Realtree and Mossy Oak. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they are, and you go to big box stores and you buy those, those items and, uh, they're not super technical. They're, uh, not super complex and like, they're just not a premium high-end custom-made product just for whitetail hunting. It's all been dominated by people out West, First Light, Sitka, Kuyu, that takes a Western hunting approach and just figures deer hunters don't need that. Like anyone can deer hunt in our gear. It's more complex. It's more technical and uh take it and apply it in a tree stand how hard can that be and yeah. so i was like you know what let's stake our sand uh our flag in the sand and say we are strictly whitetail hunting and we're going to sell to people that are exclusively whitetail hunters that if i need an item to go out west this is going to function just as equal as the others but ultimately like i spend 100 days hunting the woods whitetail hunting i might go out west once or twice uh every other year or so but like sure Gear is going to scratch that itch every day, all day. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I think I, I, I even screenshotted uh, one of the mission statements from the website uh, about that niche. And, you know, being hyper focused on the whitetail guy, one, there's the most whitetail hunters, like that is the dominant species. Uh, I think they even say that at ATA, you know, like, hey, y- y- you're you're best off to kind of cater to the whitetail guy because there are so many because they are located throughout the U.S., um, I think, yeah, I think that space right now is, is is just at the maybe tip of the iceberg or really starting to get momentum. And so I really like where, where you guys have positioned yourselves. And honestly, I've seen you guys kind of blow up uh, as far as social media is concerned, uh, quality of advertising and seen you on a few other brands such as Tether. Um, I, <laughs> I believe, uh, uh, you know, I've seen a couple of your guys' garments worn. The DIY sportsman comes to mind, too, as a, as a guy who's worn fleet for several years. And, I mean, that guy's as, as, as technical and, like, uh, into science behind whitetails as it gets. That's a, that's, if that guy's wearing the pattern, there might be something to it, if you will. So we totally, I'm an utter, this is kind of nerdy, I'm a total fabric uh, guru. And so, like, I travel all over the world. I have fabric mills come from all over the world to here and we're always looking for the best fabric. And so like we've really built a niche around being, I tell everyone this, we're fabric agnostic. We're not owned by Gore-Tex. We're not owned by, you know, other fabric mills. And we are always going to find the best fabric for that application. And that's why you see like we have lines that are made by Tori, which has been almost exclusively with Kuyu. I have lines of fabric that are made by Polar Tech, which is basically for the U.S. military. I have lines of fabric that are made in like some top-notch custom-made fabric mills in Taiwan. Uh, We have fabrics made here in the U.S. Like, and so like we have a hodgepodge of fabrics, but they were hand-selected through a litany. If you were to look on the other side of this screen, I have a giant wall that's probably 20 feet by 12 feet high lined of fabric swatches. Oh, wow. And so like I spend all day, every day obsessing on fabric. And then what is the application? Like, and then once we figure out a good fit, then it's all about testing the fabric, testing the application, uh, thermal mannequins, all that. That's just, that's our niche. Okay. Wait, I got to ask, what is a, uh, explain a thermal mannequin? uh, Because I kind of have an idea based on the description, but, but tell me, what are you doing when you're testing a thermal mannequin? So you are taking perspiration and you're mimicking uh, the coldness on the mannequin to test a standardized method of like temperature regulation. So like uh, most people understand like sleeping bags have temperature ratings Mm -hmm. and you can say like this sleeping bag, well, sleeping bag at its core is no different than a puffy jacket. And just like a puffy jacket, it's no different than a base layer set. And so thermal mannequins allow you to test like the warmth rating and how it works and what is the temperature threshold. Cause like, I hate my like least favorite question I ever get when I talk to people is like, will this keep me warm? Well, it's really complicated. And so for me to answer that truthfully, I can't lie to people. Like for me to truthfully answer that, like, I want to know where you're hunting, when you're hunting. So then I pull up the historical weather. What's the humidity? What's the wind temperature? What's the temperature uh, ranges? And then I plug that into a calculator. And I'm Mm -hmm. able to tell you down to a science, whether it's an R value or a CLO value, 
these are the items you need. You need this set of base layers, this set of items, and then you're going to need to wear this into the stand. You're not going to wear this. You're going to have to throw this on extra or else you're going to wear too much uh, moisture buildup and you're going to smoke yourself. And okay. so like for me to do that, like I have to start with a thermal mannequin test and the garment and the weight and like, yeah, it's, it's a well, deep conversation. I, I do have a, a follow-up later in the podcast noted for some of this talk, but I, I wanted to, you know, you had touched on your textiles and your obsession with those and, and looking even, let's just talk base layers on the website. There is a laundry list of options. One, I don't see on other people's brands. Um, two, there was a bold statement on a, um, base layer and base layers are popular, right? I think people are realizing some of the importance. Sometimes I do think they are a touch overhyped, but uh, you, you guys have a garment that you think is the warmest base layer on the market with that. I believe it's the Polar Tech one. Yep. Polar and Tech Power Storage Pro. Yeah. Like some guys who are freezing or looking for the best. What can you tell us about that garment in particular? Because that tagline caught my eye. So uh, this is, if you're familiar, we have like a soft shell series called the Phantom probably one of our best sellers. Uh, it is a 300 gram weight jacket. So think soft shell, uh, exterior, windproof, everything. This base layer has the same fabric density as that soft shell. And so like, it is a very heavy, thick, fleece stretch material. And the biggest challenge is like, when you get build out garments that have such a thick density to it, like there's no mobility. Like it's like mm -hmm. imagine putting on like a rug or something. I mean, it's like a solid uh, half inch in thickness. When you put those on, like there's no mobility, there's no stretch. Uh, and it just like does not function, but power stretch pro just moves with you. And so you're able to have a garment that's like, I'm going to say like so thick and so fleece and warmth that fits next to skin and wicks moisture, but also stretches like 16 times it's dirt oh, wow and so it's like i mean just think classic under armor stretch you know the original under armor base layers that you would wear at football baseball back in the 90s like that that kind of stretch but the density thickness of like a true outerwear garment that fits next to skin like these bad boys are thick and they're so warm uh yeah. you just can't beat it yeah that was a uh, a garment that caught my eye now um you also offer some alpaca wool mixes as well as straight merino. I, I I've worn alpaca wool socks for years. That's the only I buy them. Um, what is the Altera company? Those are the only socks I buy. Just really good longevity out of those bad boys. Like I put I put the miles on. Uh, I would think well above average, and uh, those things hold up well. They they hold that that funk away, and uh, really like those. So when I saw a garment with a little bit of alpaca mixed in. Um, kind of caught my eye a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about what, you know, you offer two options there at a core Merino and then an alpaca blend. So the alpaca is about 30% warmer than just a straight Merino. Uh, and that being because the, the fibers in alpaca is just a little bit more hollow. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, you're able like, think of a hollow based fiber, think of insulation. Like that's a, uh, an area where insulation is able to hold warmth. And so that alpaca is going to keep you about 30% warmer for a same store, weight, fabric, shirt, everything. Uh, we are actually, uh, uh, alpaca might be transitioning out because we've now sourced, I don't want to release yeah, the you, you at, at any point in this podcast, because I've done, you know, I, I, I sometimes ask probing questions. You are allowed to push punt. That is completely okay. So, but we are coming out with, we are working and testing on a Yaks wool blend and it is so much warmer than alpaca uh, and it's mm. softer. And so it's going to be what we're, we're trying to balance the ratios on durability, but it's going to have alpaca in it or not alpaca, Yaks wool in it, um, lyosil, tensile lyosil, which is actually wood pulp, and then a tiny bit of polyester in there. Uh, and it is basically a little bit heavier than the current alpaca lineup, but it's about, I would say like shockingly softer and shockingly more durable and uh, about 20 to the, based on the stats we're seeing about 20 to 30% warmer than the alpaca. Uh, it is, it is, it is, it is pretty awesome. Man, that is cool. I, I have not, uh, and I've yeah. listened to, I've listened to some podcasts with some, some high-end designer guys and, uh, I have not heard this level of, of detail on, on the textiles involved 
This is cool. And, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing, um, to seeing it's that. Just, yeah. So it's straight science, like, you know, Alpac. Uh, so you have Merino sheep operated this like elevation. Then Alpaca moves up a little bit higher. Think of like in South America, they, they, they go up to higher elevations. Mm-hmm. The yak lives and breathes in Mongolia. And yes. it's meant to pull up, you know, all sorts of warmth up into like Everest base camp. And so their fibers are just naturally made by God to be warmer. Yeah. And so the yarn that we've sourced is natural yak's wool from Mongolia, and it's being woven with another natural fiber. And so you're going to have a garment that's basically 95% to 97% natural base fiber. So you're going to hit the thresholds of no stink. You're going to get the thresholds of durability because the tensile lyocell is a much stronger fabric, but still natural. And then with a polyester, just to enhance some of the stretch on it, like it's a wicked setup. It is wicked. Nice. Nice. That is so cool. So let me ask this because I would, having looked at fleet for several years, I felt like the Phantom series was your guys's like core product. And about a year ago, you guys redesigned it. So we redesigned, we added to it. So so talk to me a little bit about that. Is it the core product? And what, I guess I want to hear your brain as far as, okay, can I, I took a, a core product or what I, I'm speaking external. Yeah. Uh, I took a core product and I made some tweaks and here's why I made them. Let me hear a little bit of your thought process to why you, you tweaked that. So I looked at the Phantom concept, Phantom, Phantom 2.0 is an anchor product that's for someone that wants longevity, that can function in the earlier part of the season and extend into the later part of the season. And the biggest issue with the current Phantom has always been windproofing. Uh, I needed something that could give some windproofing and keep you more warped inside. Like naturally, like when you put a membrane in something, you're restricting breathability. Obviously, people are going to tout off the breathability specs on membranes, but like it's, I don't know, a membrane is essentially uh, uh, cellophane. I mean, it's like a cellophane material that you have in the kitchen. Uh, there's some different membranes that are like a goo and stuff, but essentially you're putting a barrier that does not allow wind or air to come from the exterior out. Uh, and so like when you do that, like you're going to build up warmth and you're going to prevent wind from coming in. And so like I needed something that could give guys total wind protection and total moisture protection uh, for when they need it. Like if you're up in the Midwest, like snow, ice, you're taking a knee, like all these are items that the Phantom 2.0 addresses that the current Phantom didn't have. And so I needed something that was like, basically like, I look at like, all right, I have Phantom covers from like October to November. I wanted to add something that was a little bit more of a premium product that took like October to mid-December and added Uh just a little bit longevity for guys that didn't want, they wanted the full wind protection. Uh, And when you add the membrane, it also adds water protection. Even though it's not seam tape, it's still like you're going to get the protection. Well, and the nice thing too, um, one, you're extending the range of that garment. So if a guy is, uh, oh, maybe he doesn't have the cash flow, right? But he's wanting to buy, after hearing this podcast, oh, he sees a, a lot of benefit uh, to one, the camo, and two, a, a, all the thought gone into it. That jacket is not terribly like over the top as far as it's at the $200 price point, but it covers I would say most guys that covers, you know, three quarters of your season. Yep. And the shocking thing is I, we ended up turkey hunting in the Phantom 2.0 uh, this past year. And like, if you drop the hips, like, obviously like it's not ideal, mm-hmm. but like I was perfectly comfortable in like 70 degree weather with the vents down next mm-hmm. to skin running around in the woods, chasing turkeys. Like it's a, it's a pretty versatile product. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So uh, just for the listeners, it does have some pit zips as far as for ventilation purposes. Um, it's got a, some, some upper chest pockets that are accessible and zip. So you can, you can, you know, put your phone there or, or garments that you want to keep, keep like higher on your chest. Um, it sounds like that's pretty legit. Uh, what about the zips uh, in the pants of the Phantom series? Are they full zips or half zips or what do you got going on to, on the lower half? The, they just have big, I think they're 18 inch, uh, hip vents. That's the only okay. zip we have there. Yeah, that's, that's nice. I, uh, I went for a hunt last year in late October and it was one of those where 
I didn't want to one. I don't love wearing base layers underneath like a hiker pant because I just, I, I get too hot going in and it was cold enough that I kind of wanted those base layers on once I got set in my stand. And so I just wore thin hiker pants, no base layer underneath. And sure enough, like 830 rolls around. I'm like, man, I'm cold and I would do anything for a, a mid-weight pant right now. Um, so, so that, yeah. that, that could fill a void uh, for, for guys I got to believe. So the, that the issue that you have there is the, the, the fabric, the base layer fabrics that you're running, like you need something that transfers the moisture to the exterior side of the fabric. Mm -hmm. So like when you look at moisture permutation as the way moisture moves through that fabric, uh, we use a bi-component knit with Polar Tech, but essentially what you're getting is like, it's going to wick moisture into the exterior side. So like next to skin, you're not going to feel that moisture. Uh, it's going to be holding in the exterior side of it. And so like, I always encourage everyone to wear base layers, at least our base layers, uh, <laughs> for next to skin, because like, it's going to keep you much cooler in hot and cold temperatures alike. You want to get that moisture off your skin as quickly as possible to stay dry. Like you always hear people, you want best way to stay uh, healthy in the woods, keep your socks dry. You don't want sweat. You don't want to do that. And you want to keep your skin dry. You keep dry. You're going to stay warm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We are going to do this on, on, uh, uh, the, the airwaves. I am in the market cause early season is coming up. Uh, we start the same weekend as you that late September, but I am looking for at least an upper garment piece for let's call it sept late September. When I open to about October 15th, 20th, what would you kind of steer a guy? Maybe you and I, let's just have a natural flowing conversation and, and we can kind of walk through this. So I would recommend just the AS1 or all season one hoodie. Uh, it is incredibly lightweight, but it's versatile enough to put like a lightweight base layer on underneath. And uh, it just functions so versatile. It's so stretchy. It's comfortable as a built-in face mask hoodie. Uh, and you can layer underneath it and add longevity if you want, or you can wear it next to skin. And it is just, it's super stretchy and super comfortable. Nice. Okay. I, I know you guys also came out with a, a fall jacket because so I was, I, I was debating between these two. So what makes the fall jacket different from, from the a one hoodie or why it sounds like that a one hoodie has got a lot of versatility. It's probably very light to pack in. I'm, I'm a standing sticks, uh, primarily public land hunter. What, what about the, uh, the fall jacket that I maybe want to peek at? The fall jacket is an incredibly durable fabric. And so that's going to be much more like if I'm running through some real busty stuff like burrs, briars, everything, like mm -hmm. it's going to blow right there. You're not going to get any tears, nothing, any snags. We do have May snag testing on it. And so like we're measuring like, like it can't tear. Like we're measuring the tear strength on this so it doesn't bust. So. Uh, I'm loving that material for a pant. Did you, is that the same yeah, material? So it's the same. So the fall jacket and the Zodiac pants, they complement each other and it is incredibly durable and it just gets so soft, but it's also incredibly lightweight and stretchy with no spandex in it. It is, it's, it's a, it's a wicked fabric. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's helping me. Actually, you laughed. I am on the website now. I am adding that to the cart live on air. <laughs> We are going to make this happen. Okay. That was, you know, I think, I think one, this, the, the, the stretch pants, durable pants, that's something I, I see a lot of, um, I spend a lot of times and we have Greenbrier here in Ohio and on the treks in a lot of times I'm walking through some big timber and then there'll be a stretch of just almost like you're rabbit hunting. Yep. And, and so like that in the past has gotten me in trouble as far as tearing gear and, um, for years, you know, in the early years, I was just rocking military BDUs. Um, and, and, and those are not as friendly. In fact, I, I told Dave, I went for a turkey hunt this year in some old military BDUs and went to step over a log and didn't account for it grabbing my thigh. And like, I about took a tumble. I was like, dude, I, I'm not gonna lie. I feel like a little bit of a, a pansy, but, uh, I missed my stretch pants this morning. So like, I always tell people like that I need to stretch when we're saddle hunting, like I was, for some reason, I never get the stick height. I always like err on the side of being too high. And like, I hate when I can't get my foot up because the fabric just does not move to me. And so like, that's just, those stretch is important. It's awesome. Oh yeah. Okay. Our, our audience is big in mobile hunting. 
what is because I've, I've seen some videos uh one you did 60 foot in a tree but uh what is your your mobile setup currently like what are you running because you have some one sticks you have some carbon sticks talk to me about that real quick <laughs> so those aren't all mine we had to borrow like that's like 10 grand worth of sticks man like it was <laughs> like we just wanted to do something funny and like but also to make a hardcore point like you don't have to go up high. Uh, yeah. That's you really don't have to do that. But yeah, in that, so I pretty much I have some Skeletors, and then I have one sticks, and we pretty much I pretty much lay to the one stick side of the equation. Uh, I like the one sticks a lot. Uh, I run. I ran four sticks last year, but uh, with the film crew, film guy with me, Gabriel, we tried to film in the same tree, and so it became my bought a fifth stick so that I could basically have him at one height and I'm at another height and we're not doing anything dangerous in a tree. Sure. Sure. What, uh, what platform in, in saddle are you running? I'm running the tethered saddle and then I'm running the XL tethered, uh, the bigger phantom, yeah, Fan? yeah. not the predator. Bigger phantom, the bigger predator. predator, bigger predator platform. Okay. Nice. I can't nice. not run tethered. They're right here, man. They're so we tethered and I are about, 40 minutes apart from each other now. Oh, no uh, way. So we're like 40 minutes apart. And like they, uh, I'm always asking the guys talking and they're always, they, since they moved down, you're trying to help them find homes, where to live, giving help on that regard. Uh, oh man, they, they got an asset there right in the, in the hometown. That is cool. Warehouse racking. Yeah. It, that's, I'm right in their backyard now <laughs> or they're in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. You were there first. So, so yeah, yeah, you're back there. So, so let's talk about this when you, and, and you know, I, I, as technology advances, as you hunt more and you're like, Hey, this is kind of a pain in the ass, or I can see where a guy might want piece X. How, what kind of goes through your mind when designing a piece from need functionality to fit? Could you, and I, I know this is probably an hour long podcast in itself, but could you dumb that down to like a five, 10 minute elevator segment of what goes through your mind? So I have a wall in my office. It's basically like ideas that I see as opportunity mm -hmm. uh, that we could do cool in. And then I sit there and just get tons of fabrics and think like, all right, where's the nice fabric that complements this? Like what could be better? What's superior? What's a really good solution for that garment? Once we get those two identified, then we spend the time process of like, it's about six months of getting like, can it print camo? What's the quality print like? And then once we get like those green lighted, we then do a production, small batch production of probably like 25 to 50 items. And then we spend the next year testing that. Uh, and we make sizing tweaks, zipper tweaks, button tweaks, placement of pockets. And then from there, once that full year has been done, then we'll then, all right, let's, let's make this in a bulk production and take it to market. Uh, we've turned a lot of items away and we've turned a lot of items. Like we didn't think we we're going to make it, but then all of a sudden, like people just loved it. We loved it. The, all the right. What, what item on the website were you like, I think like, cause, cause I see this on a YouTube site where I'm like, I think this video is okay. Like a five out of 10, and then it'll get really good views. What is the, the item on the website where you're like, I, I don't know about this item and like explosion of, of, of good results? Wind quarter zip. Uh, it's, a, it's a simple quarter zip, but it's, it's a heavier weight quarter zip that's totally windproof. And so uh, it's, it's affordable. It's like 90 bucks, I think, 95 bucks. And, but you're buying a fully functioning, packable, windproof layer. And uh, the concept was straight. It was clean. It's not camo. It's a solid. Uh, and so, like, I was like, uh. but, like, once we got into the testing, like, you could just quickly, like, people are like, oh, I just bring that along. Like, it just packs so nicely. And I can bring it along. And if the wind picks up, I can just throw that on. Is that, the, is that the Phantom Whitetail quarter zip? Nope. It is the wind quarter zip. It's a mid layer. It's green. Oh, and I'm in the wrong section of the website. So I want to keep it along. Please, please keep going. And so it just packs nicely and uh, it's affordable. And like guys are able to quickly just add wind protection where they need it and, and when they need it. And it's not, uh, it's not, doesn't break the bank, really comfortable, a really potent membrane in there um, and just a cool garment. And, it is uh, a cool piece. 
so yeah, that that's been a a, a surprise. Like. I didn't think it was going to be successful, like when we went through the testing process, but then like guys were like, dude, I just love throwing that in my pack. And like, sometimes like wind, like die down, like I might need the wind protection for a certain time, but then like winds die down, I don't need it anymore. And I don't need that extra layer and I don't need to be so bulky. And, uh, and I'm able to take it off quickly and like be able to breathe again and have all, all the, the pluses of not having a membrane on. Nice. That is, that is a cool, cool place there or peace if you will and yeah. even if a guy uh, already had maybe an external jacket and was kind of like you know for 95 dollars, he essentially turns that thing into a, a windproof jacket as well um, it's basically like i like to think of i don't know like i spent a lot of time in a vest uh, mm-hmm. when i went so like in october like especially late october there's like you hit some extreme weather models like essentially like it's like could be like 50 degrees out not bad but like you throw in like a 10, 15, 20 mile per hour wind, all of a sudden, like that wind picks up and it can feel a little bit cold. Like I wanted to have something that like, I could wear my vest, wear my, you know, base layer type setup and be good to go. But then all of a sudden the wind picks up, temperatures drop a little bit and I don't want to bring a whole jacket. Like I could just bring a small quarter zip and get the total protection I needed with my vest. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. And, and, yeah, I think it's. I think that could be an underrated piece uh, for for some guys. All right, let me ask this. Uh, we're coming up on an hour. I want to be, you know, conscious of your time, uh, being that you wear so many hats. What uh, what future hunt plans do you have here uh, this year? Obviously, uh, Mister Big Pink, uh, top top we're target knock- there. He was delayed till opening day, I think. Uh, now for Tennessee, so uh, we're gonna do one more hunt in Tennessee. We're gonna try to whack Big Pink. We whack Big Pink. He's off the table. Uh, and then we will probably mid-October, I really want to spend a lot of time. I've done it in the past, but like I didn't get much last year, but uh, Land Between the Lakes on the Tennessee side mm-hmm. uh, gets very little attention. And so I've, I've gotten some tidbits and some pointers, and I have some deer in mind in that area that are very large. And so I want to try to hit that area. Uh, and then once we hit to later October, we jump up to Illinois. Oh, right. sorry. I'm actually going next this weekend tomorrow to Kentucky. Doing opening Kentucky. <laughs> okay. I like it. I like it. Sorry. I'm totally missing my schedule. Opening in Kentucky. Then we jump to Tennessee opener again, chasing Big Pink. Then we're going to the Tennessee lane between the lakes for the first or second week in October. Then we jump up to Illinois for the latter half of October for a, a hunt in up in northern central Illinois. And then mid-November, early November, we're going to Alberta to chase mule deer and whitetail. And then uh, we're coming back to Wisconsin for an uh, early December hunt in Wisconsin. And then we're going to finish the season in Tennessee for a late season Tennessee hunt, I think. How late does your season go there in Tennessee? Uh, it ends like the first week in January around there. Okay. Nice. Nice. Man, that is a one, a pack schedule to a very whitetail focused schedule. So I like to like to hear that little R&D in field testing, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, testing of any new garments for 2023, I assume. All of it. All of it. All OK. Of it. So like, yeah. OK. So, so there are some future plans, if you will. Yeah, we're working on bibs, we're working like we have we've been testing out bibs and uh, a heavy jacket that is like uh, basically if you're familiar with like Sitka, like their incinerator series, like mm-hmm. a true insulated, waterproof, windproof uh, seam tape. So like it could function as like waterproof garments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously if you're wearing that and it's raining, like you're going to be miserable because it's so warm. Like expect ice, expect snow, totally bulletproof, totally dead quiet. Um, and so I want to test those. That's part of the reason why we're going to Alberta. I really want to get some yeah, brilliant. Uh, and push it. And that's part of the reason why we're going to Wisconsin. Uh, Cause I want to go like up on the Northern part of Wisconsin where there's heavy humidity, heavy cold temperatures. Like that's where it's most wicked. Like we may even go up to the UP and try to hit it up there to really hit some frigid temps. Nice. Nice. I like to hear that. I, I, I'm a bibs guy myself. Um, I like the fact that your guys is uh, the squall pants do the full zip thing. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I'm going to guess these bibs are going to be pretty kick-ass, but let me hit you with a rapid fire section. What do you think? Go for it, man. Okay. How do you like your coffee? Black. Uh, coffee or energy drink for a road trip? Coffee. 
I live on coffee, man. I put extra espresso mix in my coffee. <laughs> I love it. I'm highly caffeinated right now. Okay. Uh, meal after you shoot a buck. Uh, probably a beer. <laughs> okay. Summer beer of choice. <laughs> I'd probably go with a Bud Light. Okay. Uh, wide buck or big brows? Uh, big brows all the way. Okay. Uh, what is your uh, favorite sports team? And if you have multiple, are you a college football guy? Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, probably college football and I'm a hardcore Alabama fan. Oh my God. Yeah. This podcast is over. You know, I'm, I'm from Columbus. Uh, I live (laughs) in the heart of Buckeye country. So, um, all right. What is your frozen pizza of choice? Lou Malinati's. Okay. I like it. (laughs) All right. If you are stopping on a road trip, you're going to, to Wisconsin, what either gas station or fast food place are you hitting? Uh, probably like a raceway or something. If you're familiar with down south, I, <laughs> I am not, but, but, but that is good. Okay. What is the best purchase you've had in the last six months? And this does not have to be like uh hunting related by any means. It could be a cool, I don't know, led light bulb system. You installed out by your grill. It could be something for the truck. Best money you've spent in the last six months. Cool item. Yoder YS640 pellet smoker. Oh, okay. So you're grilling. I'm a big smoker. And so I I finally invested in some really uh, big smoke equipment. And I was tired of like the long smokes and having to manage. I wanted something that was more, I I smoke pretty much four to five nights a week. And so the Yoder gave me, uh, it's easy, but man, it, it, it does an awesome job of temperature regulation. So my right-hand man, Dave, who's the funnier guy of the podcast and the brand, uh, he owns three – on his back deck, there are two grills and three smokers. Um, he just got this, like, drum smoker that he's all jacked about and does, like, oh, ribs in it because you can hang them. Yeah. Um, and then he's got the Camp Chef as his pellet, pellet smoker of choice. Yeah. But uh, So you and him, uh, I may have to, to let you guys link up and, and talk some fun stuff there. But William, uh, anything you want to close out with? I really have enjoyed this conversation on, on a lot of levels and I appreciate you carving time out to, to come on the show. Hey, I, I just am so happy to be here. I love being with good people. You know, God is awesome. This is a great place. And uh, thanks for the time, man. Absolutely. Guys, go check them out. Um, Fleet. But also, they, they've got a pretty cool YouTube going uh, as far as the I don't know. I've been checking out some of the videos. They're hunting related as well as some garment information. Uh, I would, I would steal you there in their website. So William, thanks again, man. Hey, thanks bud.